So the scripture that was read for us in Advent was our scripture for the day. It, it's, when we do these Advent readings, I don't have us go through the whole scripture again because we just you know, read the whole thing. And, and you heard in that story about how Mary shows up with Elizabeth and Elizabeth has John the Baptist in her womb and here comes Jesus in the womb of Mary and the kids start going nuts and, you know, in the womb it's, and it's this moment. And then uh, you hear Mary's reflections on, on this whole thing and she's giving praise to God and it's this great moment. And then the story goes on from there to Luke chapter 2, which is the most famous Christmas uh, uh, account. And we start watching Mary and Joseph going down to Jerusalem and the angels show up and speak to the shepherds and then the shepherds come and they find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger and they worship him. And in that moment, we get to the one verse that I'm going to read for us today, okay? And in honor of God's word, for one verse, I'm going to have you stand up. Luke chapter 2, verses 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. You can have a seat. (laughs) so i want to do something a little bit different this morning to start us off Uh, i'm just going to read a list of words for you and what i want you to do is they're also going to be on the screen you can read them as i read them you can read them as i yeah they're on the screen and you can watch them as i read them and what I, i want you to just feel how these verses or these words either stick to you or bounce off of you Uh, How do they make you internally react? How do you feel when you hear these words, okay? So they'll be behind me and you'll hear them. You can just kind of get quiet and listen to them. Contemplation. Rumination. Silence. Pondering. Reflection. Stillness. Listening. Meditation. For some of us, those words feel like coming home. They feel like peace just hearing them inside of us. You just hear the words and you feel rest in your spirit. For some of us, those words, they might as well be an autobiography. They describe who we are. That's what we do. That's what we're all about. For others of us, we have an entirely different reaction to those words. Any number of reactions. One of them might be guilt and shame because we wish we took more time to engage in these kinds of activities, but our lives have become pressed. For some of us, fear takes over when we hear those kind of words. Because I don't want to sit still and be quiet. I've got to be on the go, you know? And we react to these words in different ways, each of us. Some people are naturally prone to this kind of activity. In the Advent story, there was all sorts of people doing all sorts of different things. My guess is Joseph is trying to find the right hay for the child to lay on and make sure that child's warm and all of that, running around, keeping the cows away from the baby or whatever, you know, doing dad stuff, running interference, you know. The shepherds are freaking out because the angels just showed up and they came in and they're worshiping Jesus and we hear that they're running around telling everyone the great news and, you know, all sorts of stuff going on. Everyone's doing something. But there's one person in the Advent story 
who decided to just sit back and take in every ounce of the details. Didn't want to miss one stroke of what was happening. Wanted to analyze every word of the angelic appearances and wanted to see the looks on the faces of the people as they came to worship. Wanted to understand and piece it all together and figure out what was going on. It was Mary. Mary, the one who was more impacted than anyone else. Mary is the one who stops, listens, watches, treasures these things and ponders them in her heart. It's a cool picture. You know, Mary allows herself to ask the deeper questions. What's really going on here? What's happening? Let me understand it. And just because she asks questions, the deeper questions, you know, sometimes people who when they ask questions, we assume they're, they're skeptics or cynics just because they're asking questions. But questions can be a great thing. Mary was not a person who lacked faith. Mary had massive amounts of faith. I mean, we're just told in the scripture that was read for us during the Advent reading that blessed is she who has believed that which the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Blessed is Mary because when God told her something that seemed entirely irrational, she's the one who believed it. But that didn't mean she stopped asking questions. Her cousin-in-law, if there is such a thing, Zechariah, he was going to be having a young son, and he was like a hundred years old or something, really old. God had done that before in ancient history, but God can't do that stuff now. I mean, that was just how he operated back then. And so when the angel showed up and told him, you're going to have a son, Zechariah was like, no, that can't happen. I'm way too old. And he doubted. And so God did something to him. He sealed his lips until the time he had the child, because God knew that what Zechariah needed to learn to listen and not talk, to observe and watch instead of tell. He was a priest who thought he knew what was going on, and God needed to reveal to him that he needed to expand his mind. Mary, on the other hand, when she was told by the angel that she was going to have a baby, she embraced it and believed it. She was a virgin, and she was going to have a child. She believed it. That doesn't mean that she didn't ask questions. She was still curious. She said, okay, so this is true. It's true, but then, like, how's this going to happen, you know? If the question comes after the belief, the question's a really, really important thing. If the question is based on the belief, it's an extremely important thing. If the question removes us from our faith, then we're arrogant and think that our minds can actually understand the things that God says. But God calls us to faith first, but after faith, then... He tells us that it's a good thing for us to observe, to watch, to get curious, to understand, to ponder, to meditate, to ruminate, to listen. And that's what Mary does. And she asks these questions. All right. Now, there are a whole group of us in this room and all across society who ask the questions naturally. We're a curious people. We observe. We want to know. We would rather, you know, listen and watch and understand and critique and analyze than engage, achieve, or, uh, you know, whatever else. That's the, the observers, the, the, the people who, who watch, who perceive. There's a whole group of, of those kind of people. And sometimes in our society, those people are the cynics. 
You know, they're the ones who, instead, okay, there's the, there's the politician who's leading and making decisions, and there's the Hollywood star who's out there in the glory, but then there's the columnist in the back who's watching what they're doing, just critiquing it, observing it, taking the pictures and putting them all over Star Magazine and, you know, nailing the, nailing the politician for doing this wrong. But they would rather watch than engage, and sometimes those people become cynics and antagonists. Sometimes they become fountains of absolute useless information. You ever known the person who knows everything about anything except the thing that you need to know right now? Maybe you are one of those people. You just gather information, you watch, and you observe. It can go that way, but it can go a whole other way. A person who watches and observes, when that information is used correctly, when that person gathers the right kind of information, they become the covered, coveted treasury of like all pertinent information. You know, um, there's a game at 1 o'clock today, right? And you're sitting front and center with a Giants jersey on. So I'm going to have to use this as an analogy today. And uh, Daryl and Barbara had to leave because they're on their way to Florida, but I was telling Daryl yeah, that he was going to get it from the Giants today too because he's a, he's a Giants fan, so you at least have one other around here who's with you. Oh, and Rosalie, yeah, well, yeah. She'll, she'll, <laughs> the, those of you who are Giants fan can just plug your ears on this one. But today at 1 o'clock, there's going to be this game, and there's going to be all sorts of games. We all know what the outcome of the 1 o'clock game is. What we don't know is, is why the outcome will be the way it is. And what will happen is, is there will be a nauseating post-game show where every commentator will talk about just how the Eagles beat the Giants, okay? And in that moment, they mate. They, and it's just going to be disgusting how much we have to listen over and over again. What they might, here's, here's a couple different options. One of the options is, is they're going to say, you know, the Eagles just showed that their offense was just way too talented for the Giants to handle. I mean, Mike Vick, Deshaun Jackson, Shady McCoy, you just can't stop them. They're so good. Or they might say, you know, they're actually pretty decent uh, equality teams. It's just that the Eagles gutted it out and they wanted it more, you know. And so, uh, you know, when it came down to it, they took it. Or it might go to a whole nother level where they say, you know, it really wasn't about how well the players executed the game. It's just the fact that they came in with a better game plan. And, you know, Andy Reid, Coughlin, it's a no-brainer, you know. And... uh, or the better strategist, who it is. Now, the funny thing is, is when it gets to one of these moments, I, you know, if we lose this game, I'm going to be eating my words so badly. Um, <laughs> thank you. The prophetic word has been dropped by Jeff Simon. Here's, the, here's what happens. If, if Andy Reid makes some spectacular calls and, and, and has a game plan that just beats down the Giants today, we'll understand it's not just because Andy Reid's smart. It's not just because he had a good game plan. It's because he had a bunch of people who sat in a room watching film over and over again, understanding every play that the Giants run, every defense they have, all the nuances and options. And when they call this and when, they, and when the running back kind of 
comes out to the side, and when they set up in the wildcat, there's these different things they can do, and they start to understand which defenses work against those offenses, and who's been successful, and what have they done, and they analyze it, and they observe, and they ruminate on every detail of every game, and with that information, they come and have the holy grail of information, and they bring it to Andy Reid, who will outsmart Coughlin, and will end up winning the game, and largely because he has this information at his fingertips, because someone took the time to observe and to watch and to learn and to study. And there are so many things in our society that we function based on, but we, we don't realize all the work and all the observation that went behind them. I mean, how many of our workplaces revolve around computers, but how often do we realize just how many man hours and how many observations went into these IT gurus who developed the software and the hardware that gave us the ability to do what we do? When a, when a politician's trying to win votes or when an ambassador is trying to negotiate with a, with a foreign country, there's statistics about people and social trends that are studied and observed that give them the information necessary in order to leverage some support in order to get anything done. On a spiritual level, we have people who uh, are theologians and spiritual mystics who have studied the scriptures over and over again, just trying to understand all the details of it. People who have sat and meditated on the presence of God and prayed with God and just rested with Him. And those people have helped shape and form the beliefs that you and I hold. And, and the actions that we perform are based on the beliefs that we hold. And the beliefs that we are hold are based, based on interpretations that people have had of this scripture and understandings that they have gained in their prayer life with God. Someone sat and listened. Someone studied. And because of it, we have belief. And because of that, we make decisions a certain way. All of our decision-making, all of the things that we do are based on those who observe. Authors and consultants help us see different perspectives because they study and see a different angle and they've watched and they've learned and they can help shed light on our situations. Perhaps the greatest example in our society of those who observe and, and are of a huge benefit to us are the, are the really good friends. You know, I have a couple of friends who are like this. Yeah, say I had a rough week, and, you know, I, I, could, I was just really stressed, and I was struggling, there was all sorts of tough stuff going on, and so I decide I need to have a night out. So I go to my buddy, and I'm like, hey, can we go, like, catch a flick tonight or something, you know, just go watch a movie, chill, do something, because I'm struggling. A really good friend says, yeah, sure, let's go out. Let's go hang out. Let's have a good time. A great friend does this. They watch my life, and they see what I'm all about, and they see what actually helps me and what doesn't help me. And instead of me telling them what to do and them doing it for me, instead what they say is, Tim, like, I'd love to go see a movie with you. It'd be, there'd be nothing greater for me. But, you know, I, I've watched the patterns of your life, and I don't think what you need is a night out right now. I think what you need is sleep. You look really tired, man. Like, why don't you go you know, read a book in bed until you fall asleep. And then whatever you got in the morning, I'll take care of it for you. Just sleep in as much as you want. See, that's a friend who's observed my life and watched my life, who doesn't just do whatever I say and assume, you know, to keep the treadmill going, but instead they watch and they observe and they critique and then they invest in the ways that they can help because they've taken the time to think about it. Mary is one of these people. 
This is Mary. She doesn't just take anything for granted. She believes what God says, but then at that point, she just starts to watch. And before she makes a move, she wants to understand all the details. She wants to see what's actually happening here in order to know how to make the next good move. We have so many reasons to be grateful to Mary. Who wrote the stories about Jesus' birth? That one's not rhetorical. Matthew. Matthew did. Who else? Luke. Yep. One other. John. These guys wrote these stories. Were they there? Matthew, Luke, and John, were they there watching? No. How'd they find out? The grapevine. The grapevine. Yeah, they heard the stories, but I mean... Joseph and Mary were there. Joseph, we don't hear about him later on in Jesus' life. We don't know exactly what happened to him. But Mary, we know she has interactions with these guys. And so the, the best theory we have as to how they got all the detailed information about Jesus' birth is from Mary, who watched and who observed. Think about it. If Mary didn't sit back and watch and observe and meditate on what was going on, think about this. Think about the fact that maybe Mary got so stressed that she couldn't, she forgets, like, oh, yeah, that's right, the shepherds came, or, you know, oh, I don't know what the gifts that those wise men brought. I, like, she's just too stressed. But instead, she sits back and she watches. She hears it all and observes it all. And when it comes to these apostles who write the scriptures, they have a first-hand account from Mary who takes care of every detail. Think about this. You and I are sitting here today studying the account of Jesus. Why? Because his mom watched because his mom observed because his mom thought it was really important to know the details because someone was watching now we here get to know how to celebrate christmas i'm really grateful she watched aren't you i mean imagine if we didn't have luke chapter 2 if we didn't know about the time of caesar or augustus and you know if we didn't have these memories of like you know cows mooing in the background because we know the details of the stable if we didn't hear the words about the what the angel said that changes my faith if i don't know those things it, I, it lessens my faith i don't have the words of scripture to hang on to but we do because mary watched because she listened because she observed because she took time to step back and think about what was happening how often do you step back and just think? How often do you take inventory of your life? Say, what, what's God doing in my life? Why am I doing this? What, when I look around, where's God and what's he doing right now? How often do you ponder? Not all of us are wired to be observers. Not all of us naturally go toward asking the deep questions. Not all of us naturally watch. As a matter of fact, some of us, we'd much rather engage in something than just watch it. We'd much rather accomplish something than critique it. We'd much rather achieve something than just observe it. And we'd much rather talk than listen or read. You know? There's many of us that are wired that way. And that's fine. That's the way we were wired. But 
You can only get so far with the achievement and the accomplishment. You can only go so deep in the relationship with the person. Your conversations can only go so far unless you absorb and saturate the situation that you're in. So even those of us who are wired to be achievers and accomplishers, engagers instead of watchers and relators, instead of being the ones who step back, the ones who engage, even those of us who operate on that level, we still need to absolutely take the time to saturate our situation, to understand it. Think about it again, this uh, foreign ambassador going over to China, and Obama gives him his directives, you know, and here's the new trade agreements, these are the things we can compromise on, here's the things we can't compromise on, there's also some humanitarian issues that we have to address while we're there. So the ambassador knows exactly what it is that he's supposed to do. He's a very gifted communicator, and he just wants to go and get the job done. So he goes over to China, and he begins to engage in the conversation. Next thing you know, he's violated three or four customs, you know? He didn't realize that he wasn't supposed to wear his hat in this situation, or he was supposed to shake with the other hand instead of this hand, because he never took time to saturate, understand, observe, and see what's going on. Unless he understands the customs, unless he understands the nuances of how culture works, then he won't be able to accomplish what it is that he needs to accomplish. In our lives, we need the information. Andy Reid needs the the information from his assistant coach. The ambassador needs to understand what's happening in China before he can help. And each of us, no matter what it is that we want to accomplish, we have to have information at our fingertips. And some of that is spiritual information, some of it's physical information. But the amount of information that we can find at our fingertips in any instant is pretty impressive these days, isn't it? I mean, if I want to know how to build a spaceship to fly to the moon, uh, I, I could go, you know to some college and figure it out, or maybe I could just Google it, and it would probably tell me. You know, if, if I need to know any given information, if I need to know, you know, the mathematical equation that will help me build a structure um, that, will, that I know will support the weight of a car as it drives over it, I'm sure that I could just get online, and I could type that into Google, and it could get me the information I need, and I could go get it done. You know, and it's amazing how fast we can gain enough information to be experts in any given field at any given time. Now, this is the problem with that. Here's the problem, is that if we don't learn how to discover that information, all we learn is the answers themselves, then we lose everything between point A and point Z. And we get to Z, but there's all sorts of skills that are gained in the meantime in the acquiring of that information. Let me give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, if you had asked me what my wife, Jen, what her cell phone number is, I would have told you it was number one on my speed dial. And then you would have said, yeah, but like, what's her number? And I would have said, no, really, it's number one on my speed dial. And you would have pressed me, and I wouldn't have been able to give you her phone number because ever since she got that phone number, I just pressed number one, you know, and I, I, I wouldn't have known it until my uh, phone ran out of batteries one night, and I really needed to talk to her, and I went to make a call, and the person I was with had a phone but didn't have her number in it, and I couldn't call my wife because I didn't even know her phone number. And I had all the things that I needed except the phone number, and I went to push one on their phone, you know? Like, it's not working because I understood the, the outer detail of information that I needed for the average situation, but when things got a little more complex, and nuanced, I didn't know how to deal with it because I couldn't Google it because my phone was dead and if I had Googled it, it wouldn't have told me my wife's phone number anyway and it wouldn't have worked for me. It's like a GPS that gets us where we need to and it's great until all of a sudden we don't have the GPS and have no idea how to get to the place. 
right? And that's what happens with us all over the place with information right now. I can't tell you how many Christians I know who can tell me about Jesus and can give me the right answer in the right situation, but they don't know Jesus. And in the moment when it's a real clean-cut answer, are you supposed to sin or not? No. But when it gets into a situation where they can't figure out what's wise and what's sin and what's not, they can't hear the voice of the Savior because they've never stopped to learn to listen. And what Jesus tells us is, my sheep know my voice. Christianity is not a religion. It's not a system of thought. It's not something you can Google and mimic it. It's a living, dynamic relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And He's died on the cross to make it completely possible for us. He came to earth as a child so that we could have access and relationship with Him, but that doesn't mean that we've actually engaged and learned to relate to Him. That takes ponderance. It takes meditation. It takes studying. It takes research. It takes listening. For those of us who are the doers and the accomplishers, the challenge for us this Christmas is to stop. Just stop. Chill on the Christmas presents. Chill on the family gatherings. Chill on all the Christmas movies. Take a moment to step back like Mary and to ponder. To let our hearts grow. It doesn't happen fast. It's not like typing it into Google. It takes time of learning to be quiet and reflect. Look, I love each and every one of you, and you have situations in your life where you have the opportunity to know God and to reveal God to other people. But you don't have time to pick up the phone and call your pastor every time that you need to know what to do in a situation. You need to know Jesus. And you need to know his word. And you need to not just know details about it. Your mind needs to become a biblical mind that's shaped by the scriptures. And your hearts need to be influenced by the ever-moving, speaking Spirit of God. And I cannot do that for you. And Josh cannot do that for you. A parent can't even really do it for a child. It takes a person being willing to step back, read, listen, ponder, meditate. Now, for those who naturally are question askers, who are researchers, who are studiers, who are observers, who are reflectors, it's a different challenge. The challenge is, what will you read? Will you read just whatever you fancy in the moment, or will you read and study the Word? Will you ponder whatever your mind wanders to and whatever just intrigues you? Or will you put it on a lower priority and on a higher priority? Say, I'm going to meditate on Jesus. Am I going to just meditate on nothing or nothing around me, you know, whatever I feel like, or am I going to meditate on his presence? I can observe all sorts of things, but have I learned to observe his movements? I can ask all sorts of questions, but how about asking the questions about how God works? And we have to prioritize. For Mary, this is what she understood. It was all a priority. I think she was a natural person who asked questions. She was a curious person, and we're all grateful for that. But what was important was is she made a priority around what she was going to be curious about. 
and she decided to make a priority in her heart. She understood just how valuable this little child was. If we had a raffle today or some sort of lottery thing here at church, you know, and as you were leaving, someone told you you were the grand prize winner and you win $122,000 today. What's the first thing you're going to do? I mean, I got some bills I got to pay. You know, that's probably high on the list. I got, you know, some people who I really care about. I didn't, wasn't able to get the Christmas present I really wanted for someone. And, and there's the, hopefully the first thing we would do, stop and think. You know, just think. This is a huge gift. What can I actually do with this? What would be the best thing to do? How can I use this, these finances to change the situation moving forward? Instead of just wasting it, how can I use it? This is what I think Mary did. I think she held this little child in her arms. And we know that she knows he's the Savior. In chapter 1, she already says it. And she's holding this little child in her arms. And she knows, she's studied this child enough now that when the wrinkles on his forehead go a certain way, he's hungry. You know? And when he, he starts to twitch a little bit like this, he's really tired. You know? And when he makes this funny grunting noise, look out, you know? And she's observed, and she's watched, and she's studied, and she's thought about it. And she's a great mom who's sitting there thinking about it. And she thinks also, you know, my son is going to have a rough life, and there's going to be all sorts of things that are difficult, and there's going to be many people who have many demands on him. There's certain things that I need to teach him as a mother. And she begins to think about those things. I think even more than that, what Mary understood was that the gift that she was given, the gift that their world was given in this moment, had layers of depth to it that were hard to imagine. And so what she did is as she's studying her child and as she's sitting thinking about every last word that the angel said, she's thinking, I wonder what this means for us. I wonder what this child means for us. How is he going to change everything? What's God doing? Jesus actually came to earth, right? We believe it. Jesus actually raised people from the dead, didn't he? And he gave sight to the blind. These are things that we hold on to as facts. He himself conquered the grave. And he told us that the power that he used to conquer the grave is available to us here and now. And that blindness was no more of a deterrent back then than it is right now, and yet he conquered it then. The reality of Christ on earth, the hope of glory that he gave to us back then, is it a reality for us now? We've been given a package in the form of a little child who eventually died on this cross, and it means absolutely everything. And there is nothing that, that can come into our lives that can challenge us, that he cannot provide an answer for. And yet it is so easy for us to be on the treadmill of life and to never step back and look at my situation and say, how can Jesus actually change this situation? And how can he impact this situation? And it's not just words on a page, and it's not just a person in history, but he's a living God who can transform my life right here and right now. Will we take the time this Christmas season to stop? And to think about what it means for our lives this Christmas. That's the challenge for us. Okay, so 
If you have Christmas shopping to do, and if you have family gatherings to go to, go after them with gusto, but not before you have stopped and asked Jesus, how can he impact this family gathering? And how can this gift that I'm going to give to this person hold eternal value? And what does Jesus' scripture have to say about which gift I should give to my wife this Christmas? Because he cares. He cares what gift I give to my wife. He cares what happens at my family gathering. He rose from the dead so that our lives can be saturated with love and filled with transformation. And if we continue to do one thing after the other, then we're the ambassador in China who's never stopped to think about what's really happening here. It's time for us to learn to listen to his voice, to learn to know his word so that he can impact our lives. Jesus is no less alive today than he was the day he was born in Bethlehem. He's every bit alive and well. But whether or not his impact will be realized in our society is based on whether we will learn to contemplate, meditate, ruminate, listen, be still, observe, then apply. Let's pray.